0: You know, we have been talking about the heart and the condition of the heart and what the Bible means when it talks about our heart and um, actually, Pastor Jay and I inadvertently created a series here um, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke on an available heart, and then last week, um, Pastor Jay uh, talked about a heart of integrity or um, a heart after God and um he poked, my head, uh, he poked his head into my office one day as I was preparing this message, and he was sharing a little bit about um, what he was talking about, and I had already titled this message, um, Clothe Yourself with Thankfulness. And so I thought, you know what, I think we have a theme going on here. We didn't realize it, but you know, an available heart, a heart after God, and so I changed it to a heart of thankfulness. So we're going to continue on talking about our hearts and um, the type of heart that God is after. And so we are going to be doing a lot of scripture reading today, which is a good thing. Uh, we're going to look through our Bibles, Old Testament and New Testament and everything in between. Um, there's, there are only Old Testament and New Testament. <laughs> so we're going to look at both of those. Um, so if you have readers and you need those, you want to get those out. Um, of course, the uh, scriptures will appear on the screen. Um, but we're going to get started here. Let's start out by looking at um, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 to 17, Colossians is in the New Testament toward the back, if you're still getting familiar with your Bible, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Colossians 3, 12 to 17 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Put on. Um, Some translations say, clothe yourself with these things. And then it lists all the things that we are to clothe ourselves with. Now, we know that, um, Putting on clothes, clothing ourselves is a conscious act, right? We don't just trip into the closet, come out clothed, right? It's a conscious, we choose our top, we choose our bottom, our shoes, our socks, whatever it is we're going to put on, it's a conscious act. So this passage is saying that we consciously, every day, put these things on, a compassionate heart, humility, meekness, patience, etc. But there is a phrase nestled in this passage that if we're not careful, we will miss it. Tucked into this passage in verse 15, after it says, clothe yourself with this, clothe yourself with this, clothe yourself with that, it says, and be thankful. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it. And be thankful is nestled into that passage. So just like we are to consciously, intentionally clothe ourselves with patience and compassionate hearts, humility, we are to consciously and intentionally clothe ourselves with thankfulness. Right? Yeah. Um, Many, many years ago, there was a commercial that came out, um, Campbell's Soup. Um, They presented this commercial in an effort to promote the fact that they were adding more meat to their soup. I don't know if you've ever had Campbell's Soup before. Um, And this is not, I'm not promoting anything here. (laughs) <laughs> One soup over another. I'm just saying, we used to eat Campbell's soup, so I uh, can relate to what this commercial was saying. And they were advertising, they were making this big push hey, buy our soup because we've added more chicken to our soup. And so um, the commercial, the image on the screen, it showed a large family, and um, they were seated around the dinner table. And um, you got the impression that they were seated from youngest to oldest. It was kind of dad, mom, and then you had siblings. You could tell it went from older siblings to younger siblings. And I could completely relate to this commercial right away because I'm from a family of six and I'm the youngest. And, so, and we kind of sat around the table that way, you know, and made it all the way down to me at the end. And um, this commercial, it had the family pass this big pot of soup. And so it made it all the way down to the youngest. And remember, they are promoting that there's more chicken in the soup. So it gets to the youngest, and he looks in the pot, and he says, I never knew there was chicken in this soup. (laughs) And I just, it was so cute, because I'm like, I can totally relate, like seeing the, (laughs) the casserole dish come down and saying, like, please let there be macaroni and cheese left. Please let there be, and there was. And so anyways, this commercial got me thinking about my childhood and just some of the valuable lessons that my mother taught us. And one of those valuable lessons was to be thankful um, my mother was a single mom of six. She has six daughters and, um, she would always, always make sure to tell us, you need to say, thank you. You need to be grateful. And trust me, there was a lot of grumbling and complaining. I remember one year I wanted Nike sneakers so bad for the start of school. I just wanted them so bad. All my friends had them. And she's like, we're going to Kmart. We're getting the blue light special. their shoes. They're going to cover your feet. They're going to do the same thing that the Nike shoes will do. And I just remember her saying, and you're going to be grateful. You're going to be grateful that you have shoes. Same with food. You know, we want to go out. Our friends get to go out to restaurants. And she's like, you're going to have macaroni and cheese. You're going to like it. It's food. It will fill your tummy. And so one of the things that she always taught us, and of course, as kids, we didn't appreciate it at the time. (laughs) But growing up, I realized, you know, that was a valuable lesson. And so now that I'm a parent, it's something that I strive to instill in my children. And as a matter of fact, um, when we're having our meals in the evening, we tend to, more often than not, sit around the dinner table um, and we will have discussions. And one of the things that I have found myself asking my kiddos is you know, if someone was to describe you with three to five words, what do you think those words would be? And AJ, he's the youngest, he's like, oh, cool, awesome, you know, and he's listing up all these things, and the others chime in, and, and I say to them all the time, I would hope that one of those words would be grateful. I would hope that if someone described you, and I asked them for five descriptive words, one of those words would be grateful, because it's something that I want my kiddos to learn earlier, sooner rather than later, and it's something that I strive to model for them. Well, what does being grateful do for us. It does a lot of things, but here are two. Number one, being grateful, um, it shifts our focus. When we're grateful, we place our focus on what we have and not on what we don't have. Uh, When I was growing up, there was a song and a hymnal called Count Your Blessings, and it said, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, and just see what God has done. And so uh, when we're grateful, it, it places our focus on what we have and not on what we don't have. There's a saying that says comparison is the thief of joy. If we're always comparing, well, they have this and they have that and I don't have this and that, it does not lend itself to a grateful heart. But when we focus on what we do have and when we begin to count our blessings, we'll realize, you know what? I'm doing pretty well. I'm in a pretty good place. I may not have what they have, but I have all that God has given to me, and I'm thankful. So that's one of the things that being grateful does. It also develops a spirit of humility. There's a certain level of humility in being the recipient of something, isn't there? In, in being the one who's receiving something, there's a certain level of humility. And so being thankful... There's a, there's a connectedness. It reminds us that we're not self-sufficient, that we actually do need each other and that we need God. So when we thank God and acknowledge that we are recipients of his goodness and mercy, we live with an awareness of our need for him and our dependency on him. The word thankfulness appears about 132 times in the Bible. And I say about because it depends on the translation that you use. Some uh, translations, instead of saying give thanks to God, they'll say give praise to God. So depending on which translation you use. But overall, about 132 times we see this word or phrase, thanks, thankful, grateful, in the Bible. So when something is in the Bible that much, we ought to pay attention to it, right? That means it's important. And so... Today we're going to read um, a string of passages that have the words thanks and thankful. And I thought at first maybe just giving you the scripture references, but I think it's important that we know exactly what the Bible says, right? Um, if, as followers of Christ, we need to be students of his word. We need to know exactly what his word says. And so why not? We're going to uh, read some verses, Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about giving thanks to the Lord. The first one, Psalm 106.1. All of these will be read from the New Living Translation. Psalm 106.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So we're going to thank him because he's good and for his faithfulness and enduring love. Hebrews 12.28. Again, this is in the New Testament toward the back. It says this, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. So we're going to be thankful for this kingdom of righteousness, this kingdom of God that is immovable, Scripture says, and unshakable. First Chronicles 16.8, going back to the Old Testament, First Chronicles says this, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know that he is done. So we're not going to keep it to ourselves. We're going to let everyone know the goodness of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Last but not least, Philippians 4.6 says this, do not worry about anything. So what are we going to worry about? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now these scriptures give us a lot of reasons for being thankful and for expressing that thanks to God. But today we're going to look at three things in particular that we should be thankful for. All right. Number one, we're going to be thankful for our salvation. Will you turn with me to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? I love that the song that we sang, the last one, Love on the Line. I just loved the words to that song reminding us of just this precious gift um, of God to us and all that it means for us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift. Yet how often do we remember to say thank you for this awesome gift? Of all the gifts that I've ever received and will ever receive, this is the best one, the very best one. And yet sometimes, honestly, I forget to tell God thank you. I wake up in the morning and I thank him for another day, I thank him for my breakfast, I thank him for a way to get to uh, work, thank him for a job. Not very often do I consciously remember to out loud say thank you, God, for my salvation. Not often do I reflect on exactly what that gift of salvation means for me. So we're going to reflect a little bit. What does this gift of salvation mean for us? Turn with me to Colossians 1, 13, and 14. Colossians 1, 13, and 14 says, For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. What a powerful, powerful statement. Purchased our freedom, forgave us of our sins just let that sink in for a moment. When we accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we have the ability to be free, free, to live free. And you may ask, well, free from what? I don't feel like I'm in bondage to anything. Well, here are a few things that some of us may be in bondage to. Lust, anger, fear, hate, shame, insecurity. Legalism, being judgmental. Bondage, Christ sets us free. For me, it was hopelessness. There was a time in my life when I was um, an older teen that I just felt hopeless, I was in bondage to it. I would uh, go to bed at night and not look forward to waking up in the morning because I thought, today was a rotten day and there's no indication that tomorrow's gonna be much better. What's the point? I was hopeless, I was caught in that cycle. I didn't want to go to bed at night because I was lost in my dark thoughts. I didn't want to wake up in the morning because then I had to face another day. And it was just a vicious cycle. Today I'm free. I praise God for that. Today I live with hope. Why? Because Jesus Christ sets us free. That's a part of this beautiful gift of salvation. So we have freedom, but we also have forgiveness of sins. Scripture says that our sins are wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. Psalm tells us that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins and transgressions from us. Now, surely if those two things were the only things that our salvation gifted us, that would be enough, right? Freedom, not bad. Forgiveness of sins, awesome. But there's more. There's more to this gift of salvation. It gives us access to God We can have an intimate, personal relationship with him. Scripture tells us we can come boldly before his throne in our time of need. We can present our requests to him for for our God is ever-present help in our hour of need. We can have peace that passes understanding. We can experience unconditional love. We can live a life that is abundant, that's fulfilling, that's lived with purpose, And when this present life is over, we get to spend eternity with him. Amen? We praise him and we thank him for our salvation. I want us to take a look at a picture of gratefulness. Um, It's found in the book of Luke. This is a long passage. I'm going to tell you that, but we're going to read the whole thing. I don't want to assume that um, people are familiar with the passage. You may have heard of this story. Um, you may not have. So we're going to take the time to read the whole thing from beginning to end so that you have some context. But for me, this is an awesome picture of gratefulness, being grateful for salvation, being grateful for freedom and forgiveness of sins. So Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 48 tell us this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, so he thought this, he did not say it out loud, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Don't you love how you don't even have to say it out loud, he knows what you're thinking? (laughs) He said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, go ahead, Simon replied. Not knowing that Jesus had read his thoughts, he had no idea what Jesus was about to say to him. But he says, go ahead, teacher. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, but said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which was customary. You offered your guests water to wash their feet. Um, He says, but um, this woman has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, so he didn't brush over the fact that she had many sins, he says, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, some Bible scholars um, say that this woman is uh, Mary Magdalene, who Mary Magdalene Jesus um, set her free from evil spirits that were tormenting her. Um, Some Bible scholars say that it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And we uh, know that Lazarus was the man that Jesus raised from the dead. And then some say, well, we really don't know the, the passage doesn't tell us who the woman is. Um, Personally, I lean toward Mary uh, Magdalene, but whoever she was, whoever this woman was, whatever her name was, we do know this about her. At some point in her life, she encountered Jesus. She had an encounter with Jesus. She had heard his message of unconditional love and forgiveness. She had been welcomed and received and accepted by him. And her way of saying thank you, the best way that she knew how to express her gratitude was to wash his feet with her tears, to dry them with her hair, and to anoint his feet with precious, expensive perfume. You know, (laughs) what an awesome picture of gratefulness. And I asked myself, you know, how often is my expression that bold, that deep? that humble, to say, God, thank you, thank you for my salvation, thank you for my freedom, thank you for forgiveness of sin, thank you for welcoming me and accepting me, for calling me your own. Scripture says we get to be called children of God. He associates himself with us. For that, we say thank you. You know, I think of this woman and her walking into this room knowing that people probably knew what she had done, and judgmental eyes being cast upon her, but she didn't let that stop her. She did not let it stop her from expressing her gratitude to the Lord. Can we say thank you, God, for our salvation? Thank you for all that it means for us. Amen? So number one, we're going to thank him for our salvation. Number two, we are going to thank him for the opportunity to grow through hardship and trials. Well, now, Pastor Lucy, you've gone too far. (laughs) I can get on board with thanking him for my salvation, but thanking him for hardship and trials, well, that's that's a little bit more difficult. But scripture tells us to do just that. Will you turn with me to James chapter 1 verse 2? James is in the New Testament, again, towards the back of the Bible. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I love that this passage says, because you know, we have to know it. We have to know And we have to trust that if God is allowing this trial in our life, he has something that he is doing in us, and it's for our good. Maybe he's teaching us how to fight and to stand against the enemy. Perhaps he's teaching us to stay close to him. Maybe he's teaching us to be an intercessor or to be a compassionate friend. But we must know that he is doing something good if he's allowed it. I remember one time I was going through a particularly difficult season. It was just a season of it. And I remember just asking God, God, what is going on? Like, this season is just dragging on, and it's difficult, and it's hard. And I feel like God said this to me. Lucy, if there was a better way for me to do in you what I want to do, I would have used it. If there was a better way for me to do what I want to do in you, I would have used that way. This is it. And so we trust him. We believe that the trial that we're going through is working something out of us, it's working something in us, it's building us up, it's making us more like him. Um, during my sophomore year in Bible college, um, <clears throat> I had a professor, she was actually our academic dean. Her name was uh, Dr. Dorothy Jean Furlong. And um, I heard someone describe her as a velvet-covered brick. And I was like, oh. Uh, she was very warm and approachable, um, you know, she, she loved the students. I was in her office a lot uh, for good things, and, um, but she was tough, and I really liked her. I related to her right away, and um, one of her classes, I've been trying to remember if it was either the emerging leader class or it was um, our ethics class. It was one of those two. I think it was the ethics class, but um, she gave us an assignment. We had to write a paper, and contained in that paper, we were supposed to do... Um, like a line, a timeline of our life. And we were supposed to mark significant um, points and periods in our lives where God taught us something about his character. And it could have been a a significant point that was good, significant period that was bad. But we had to mark the the periods in our lives where God taught us something about his character. And so I began the assignment. And um, by the time that I was finished with the timeline, I realized had a lot of significant, difficult things in my life. I mean, there were definitely some good things, but, you know, I started looking at it, and I was like, wow, there, there are a lot of dots on this line that were difficult. And honestly, by the time that I finished the paper, I was like, what? you like, it, it was like, wah, wah, wah. you know, I was feeling a little bit down. And so I turned the paper in, and I'll never forget, the paper came back with a grade, and on the very last page, written in red ink, um, she had written a statement. And so, you know, I turn it to the back to read it, and she wrote this. She said, God must have some special plans for your life to allow you to experience these things. I was like, what? Like, that is not the response. I wanted her to be like, you poor soul. I'm going to be praying for you. God bless you. That was the response, and I was like, I'm kind of, you know, I wanted to go drop her class, because I was like, she's being kind of indifferent and callous to my pain. But she wasn't. This is what Dr. Furlong had learned. She had learned the truth about the character and perseverance that can be brought about through trials if we allow it. If we allow it. The character that can be brought about through trials if we allow it. She had learned that truth. And so her response of well wow, God must really have something in store for you to allow you to go through it she meant that. She knew that God was etching something of his character in me if I would allow it. And I invite I invite all of us here to take that approach, to take that humble mindset that God if you are doing if you're allowing me to go through this you're doing something in me. You're teaching me perseverance. You're building character and I trust you with that. That passage goes on to say in James, it says, let perseverance finish its work so that we can be mature. Often we want out, and we want out fast, (laughs) but we have to stay in it. We have to let God do that work that he wants to do in us, because if we never allow the work to be done in us, we will never mature, right? We'll be infants in our faith and in our understanding, and when we never develop beyond infancy, trials will always trip us up. They'll always set us back. They'll cause us to begin to question God's goodness and mercy, his plans for our life. But when we grow up, when we begin to be mature, those same things draw us closer to him. And scripture says that when we draw close to God, he will draw close to us. So it's so important to keep the big picture in mind that the suffering is momentary. Scripture says our light and momentary afflictions, although when we're going through it, they do not seem light, and they certainly don't seem momentary. But Scripture says our light and momentary afflictions, they pass, and the fruit that remains is lasting. Amen. So we have to keep the big picture in mind. It's so easy to become myopic and to focus only on the situation, but we have to take a broader view. We must keep the big picture in mind. And I think that this next passage is such a good example of how Jesus did just that. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 say this about Jesus. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, He endured the cross, the humiliation, the pain, the shame. But he had a big picture in mind. That joy that was set before him is what he had his eyes focused on. And what was that joy? Us. (laughs) Bringing us into relationship with the Father. Removing that veil of separation. Bringing us by salvation through his blood into the family of God. That was what he had his mind focused on when he hung and bled on that cross. Big picture. And so for that joy that was set before him, he endured that affliction. He endured that cross, the shame, the pain for us. So we have to keep the big picture in mind as well. We have to know that God is doing something greater than our eyes often can see. So instead of keeping our eyes fixed on the trial, we keep our eyes fixed on him. Amen. So we thank God for our salvation. We thank him for the maturity that comes from our trials. And finally, we thank him for the opportunities he gives us to be his vessel. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 tells us this. but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to let our light shine. We are the light of the world, salt of the earth. We have the opportunity to bring people to a knowledge of who Christ is by what we do. Now, let's keep it straight. Our salvation is not based on the good works. Our salvation comes out of. It's the overflow of that relationship with him. Amen. So our good works are a light for others to see. And the result of that is that they give glory to God. So we look for opportunities to be salt and light. And then we thank God for those opportunities to be able to partner with him in what he is doing here on this earth. Now, you know, I have to tell you, God convicted me of something um, a short while ago and um, you know he said you're beginning to see opportunities as inconveniences and that needs to shift um, you know as a pastor even though on the door on our office door it says office hours Monday through Thursday 8 to 4 we know <laughs> i get calls at 9 p.m. i get emails on a saturday morning at 7 a.m. and there are times that i'm just like you know what i just want to drink a glass of cold lemonade Eat some chips and salsa and stare at the wall and do zero today. That's my plan. Chips, salsa, and lemonade. (laughs) But then I get the call. And what was starting to happen was, oh, that's going to be a long one. Oh, that email. Oh, no. And God said, you know what? You're starting to see opportunities as inconveniences, and that needs to shift. We have the opportunity to partner with God in what he's doing in someone else's life. We have the opportunity to be salt and light. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. We're human. Our bodies get tired. We get fatigued. There are times that I'll get an email on a Saturday morning and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, I need coffee first, (laughs) especially for this one. (laughs) So listen, let's just be real. We're people. We get tired. There are times that it may be an inconvenience to our schedule, no doubt. But listen, scripture tells us we count the cost and there is a cost. To following Christ. Scripture tells us that who builds a house without first sitting down and counting the cost? Um, Okay, it's gonna cost this for labor, it's gonna cost this for materials, Um, it's gonna put me, you know, I'm probably gonna have to stay with friends for a while or, you know, stay somewhere else in an apartment, whatever. But you start counting the cost, it's going to cost you something, right? And Jesus said, listen, following me is going to cost you something. And you have to go into it wide eyes, knowing that there is a cost. It shouldn't catch us by surprise. Following Jesus will cost us something. But let's not look at those opportunities that he brings our way as inconveniences. Right? We can be thankful that God sees it fit to use us to be salt and light in this world. Well, I got my um, I got static going here. I got a butterfly or something flying here, so now's a good time to close, right? <laughs> Let's just close our eyes and focus for a minute. I ended first service this way and I want to do it again. Um, I'm a person of action, not really one for just theory. I like as soon as I learn something, I want to apply it. And so I want to give us the opportunity perhaps during the morning you've already be begun to think about the things that you can be thankful for, maybe things that you've forgotten that God has done for you. I want us to take a moment. We're going to close our eyes and bow our heads. And just in the moment, I want us to say thank you. And I mean, when I say thank you, I mean audibly. Not think it, but say it. Let's tell them, God, I thank you. And just write out loud. If if the woman who was immoral could walk into a room full of people and knew she was going to be judged, and still pour out her thanks to God. I think in this safe space, we can do it, right? Let's pour out our thanks to him. Let's, with our words, with our mouth, audibly tell him, thank you. And just watch and see how much you actually have to be thankful for. So, Father God, we...